You want to? You want to go? You want to go? I'll go. You go. I'll go. Go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Draft Politics. This is episode number sixty-eight. Our second back live after COVID? Question mark. It's EJ, and with me, as always, it's Steve. Uh, Yeah, we are at the Metropolitan Brewery. Uh, We have not been here since they had the deck actually operating, so we decided we're going to go sit outside, but it's like no shade at all and fairly hot out, so we are inside where the music is grooving. It's bumping. It is bumping. I hear that's what the kids say these days. Uh, There are plenty of dogs uh, and plenty of beer. Yeah, it's so just, it's go. really a great scene. Like, I've got a huge smile on my face because I haven't been out anywhere in so long. Yeah. And it feels very normal, uh, maybe a little too normal. Yeah, it, it, we were just talking about this a little bit before the podcast and we wanted to talk about it. It was like how sort of bizarre this is that, like, you know, a couple weeks ago, maybe two, three weeks ago uh, to be two a Chicagoan. Um it seemed like everybody's still wearing masks. We're still being pretty cautious. And then, like, now, like, just nobody. Nobody's wearing masks. No. Like, it's fine. Nothing. I brought a mask. You brought I got a mask, a mask on the table. I have a mask. I have, my, I have yeah. my Biden-Harris mask in my pocket if I need nice. it. Nice. Very nice. I see some people with masks, but nobody's got them on their face. Yeah. And that's Nobody okay. Yeah. So I guess we're just diving in. I we're guess so. Um, so I do want to congratulate us just a little bit. You know, we've been going for well over a year. And... The lifespan of this particular podcast has been longer than from the desk of Donald J. Trump. That is true. That so is true. I'm feeling like well, that's that a was win. a pretty low bar to jump over, it hey, seems. Man. But I'm going to take it. That's right. right? I am going to take, take it. Take the wins where you can get it. Exactly. Cheers, Cheers, Cheers to victory, that. sir. Uh, the other thing is today is Juneteenth. Yes. Now a state and federal holiday, which is... Which is... Well, the funny thing is it became a state holiday one day before it became a federal holiday. So so Pritzker could rub it in the nose of the federal government and say, oh, nice of you to catch up with us. <laughs> nice of you to catch up. It's a, It's been an interesting thing this week for for me. And I, you know, last summer with, with all that happened with the protests and everything, it was the first time I think there was a real conversation about Juneteenth in the in the general public. Yeah. Which was a great thing. And you know, this year obviously with state and federal governments passing it as a holiday, also very good. But unlike last year, I've had to take some time to explain what it is to my coworkers yeah. because our company uh, at the beginning of this week said we're no longer going to work on, on Juneteenth or Juneteenth observed. And most of my company is European and had no idea what it was. And so I had to go through the process of explaining everything about it. Yeah. And the delays and why, you know, why didn't some people know that slavery had been abolished? And it, it both was a time to kind of reflect on it and say, wow, that's kind of fucked up. But also... You know, hearing other people's reactions to, so you're telling me they just weren't going to tell them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's yeah. exactly. Yep. That's exactly what yep. I'm telling you. Yeah. 
Uh, it's it's been interesting to see how this has evolved because, like, I mean, I remember, I remember as a kid having certain impressions of Juneteenth, not knowing anything about it, yeah. just knowing it basically as a holiday black people celebrated. No idea what it meant, why they would do that, yeah. um, and and you know, it's only in the last few years that I've come to have any understanding of what it was. Um, and so I think like having it as a holiday is good in that it begs the question of, well, why do we have this day off? And, yeah. and that can be part of, you know, school curriculums and things like that. So we make that more of something we talk about. It is perhaps a little weird that a bunch of white people get the day off to celebrate no longer right. enslaving people. It, it, <laughs> that is a fair point. It is. It is. So it's been interesting to see like different people's takes on it because yeah. that's kind of like good. We got a national holiday, but it is a little off key that yeah. way. Um, I, but you know, I think there's, I, I think it's like a lot of the same people are going to do the same stupid things they've been doing. This isn't going to magically fix that, but you know, it continues the evolution of things. It, it does, and especially at a time where there are people actively pushing against information and knowledge and education about that part of our country's history having something at the federal holiday that is a constant reminder is a good thing yes i agree um, uh, i don't want to talk about critical race theory because it's a made-up term for people to fight against but well, it is. A, it, yeah, it isn't made-up term, but it is in the way it is used. It may as well be a made-up term. Yes. Made-up yes. framing. Yes, of it. exactly, exactly. Um, though I have had conversations with people who are of a more conservative persuasion, who are like, "Well, a lot of my friends are concerned because they feel like they're being called racist now, even though they haven't really done anything." And I'm like, "As a heart, yeah, yeah." <laughs> well, and. Uh, I mean, and, what is so wrong about learning from past mistakes? Exactly. And that's really all it is. Yeah. Saying, like, let's learn from things yeah. so that we don't yeah. make And this if you're made a little uncomfortable, like, if that's the price we have to pay to yeah. ha make this country a little bit more equal, is that you're a little uncomfortable? Like, it seems worth it. Right. I think it's a good, I good idea. Okay. So. Moving on. Moving on. Uh... I'd like to introduce a new regular segment yeah. that is, for f**k's sake, either Joe Manchin or Kristen Cinema. For f**k's sake. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to do with them. Like, it's like they just don't. Like, my greatest fear about what's going to happen at this point is we're going to get to the next election, you know, which is, you know, year and a half away. Yeah. And... We're going to have a bunch of people who are going to be like, well, the Democrats didn't really get anything done, so why bother? And, and then we're going to be screwed. And, I've, and, and, and I feel like Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema just don't understand that possibility. Or they do. Or they do and don't care. Yeah. I mean, I think like a certain amount of it is their own egos and whatever else, but, but they love themselves some bipartisanship if they can find it. I mean... Kristen Cinema electing not to join the rest of the senators at at the dinner with 
Vice President Harris, like, like why? Why? Yeah. Why? And you, <laughs> you just wonder what the hell is going on with her. Yeah. Why she's just, this isn't some sort of, you know, renegade streak like, like John McCain. Looks well, like she's trying to be a renegade, but isn't very good at yeah, it. Yeah, maybe that's it. She's trying to be the quirky one. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna go give a big thumbs down to something because yeah. that'll 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 get me the viral videos and stuff. But well, I I have a feeling like there will be a lot of frustration that's just born from you know these two senators knowing that we need a hundred percent of the Democrats to vote on things. Yeah. To get anything passed. Yeah. Even through reconciliation, et cetera. So speaking of Congress, uh, in our last discussion, we were like, good news. You know, we're moving towards a January 6th commission. There's been an agreement from the bipartisan commission. And then, of course, that just got set on fire. Oh, yeah. They were like, oh, yeah. No, just kidding. They weren't able to get 60 Republicans to vote for something. Weird. Yeah, weird. Huh. Weird. Even though they had agreed to do it if the, you know, if the right people had agreed to terms. Sure. It's almost like the Republicans are just trying to, like, drag things out and make it hard to get things done. Huh. It is. I think we. Huh. Yeah. Weird. Uh, the other big thing, the other two big things have been infrastructure and voting rights. Yes. I'm um, sort of starting with infrastructure. Infrastructure is, I think. The more interesting, like, just for the weird voting compromises going on and all of that. Like, so, so, uh, Manchin had this bipartisan group that was five Democrats, five Republicans. Bearing in mind that in order to pass anything without a filibuster, you have to have 10 Republicans sign on to it. Sure. So then he gets 10 Republicans and they come up with some compromise that's, uh, falls pretty far short of the mark for the infrastructure bill. Yeah. So now it's like, Okay, well, do you vote for the bipartisan compromise, which may not get Republican votes once it's on the floor and may not pass the House? Wouldn't pass the House. Yeah. Pro- yeah. yeah. Almost certainly wouldn't. Be- because, you know, there's no way the House is going to pass a bill that doesn't raise taxes yeah. on or roll well, back taxes. Well, and it taxes. has no climate elements to it, which right. is in- also critical. True. I mean, it's not even an, a compromise bill. Yeah. It is a... Light Republican it is, bill. It is a yeah. It is a light Republican bill intended to sort of break the Democratic coalition by creating this notion of oh look, there's a bipartisan compromise, but Democrats don't want to do that. But the Republicans don't want it either. Yeah. And Manchin falls right into that. Right. And and I think again, it it just goes back to this theme of how can we not do, how can we stop anybody from doing anything. You know, and that is, I think, the whole plan and the whole strategy. Yep. Um, and sort of seeing, <laughs> seeing the way that that is playing out, right? And then just hearing like, hey, maybe there's the alternative. Rides in Bernie Sanders to say, it's fine. If we're going to have to do something via reconciliation, let's do it the right way. Yeah. And he's writing a $6 trillion bill. Didn't like yeah. the $2 trillion bill, guys? Well, we you go. know, it's it's funny. I feel like I don't know when this changed, but I feel like there was a, a point at which we started talking about bills in terms of their ten-year costs, which is what's like six trillion yeah. is you know six hundred billion a year. Six trillion sounds like a insane number, 
600 billion a year is less than we spend on defense. Still a significant amount of money, but you know, it, it's a little different when you think about it on a yearly term. Yeah, I don't I I'm with you on that. I'm not sure when we only started talking about the cost of anything in 10 years. Yeah. Um and that was to make things seem cheaper or more expensive. Right. And it's <laughs> like, it, it also feels like a way for people to be able to build any argument they want. Oh, yeah. Around something. Yeah. Now, we're just going to give you this 10-year cost as if it's going to be the same administration right. in 10 years. It would be really interesting to see how many things and their 10-year costs, like, go back on bills and like see. they actually stay on track. Right. Yeah, like, and don't yeah, get yeah. changed and changed again and changed again. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's infrastructure. And then we got the Voting Rights Act. <laughs> again. Which. Sigh. So here's the thing. Like, Manchin put together a compromise bill, which actually, like, okay, like, this is not a bad start. Like, this no. is like, all right, you get the bill would have automatic voter registration, would have Election Day as a holiday, would have 15-day minimum for early voting. Yep. And would ban gerrymandering. Gerrymandering is the most crucial part of that. Um, might include voter ID, but would have a fairly loose definition of what ID right. means. It so, was, like, a utility bill would be a considered ID. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. Um, so, like, all right. Like, we can have that conversation. Stacey Abrams is like, yeah, sure, we can do that. Yeah, and a lot of the things in that bill were taken from, uh, were taken from the John Lewis yes. bill. Yes. Which was great. Yeah, so, all right, cool. We've got a bipartisan compromise. Let's roll forward. Republicans, nah. Oh, okay. I thought that was the whole point of this. We were doing a bipartisan right. compromise. Right. I mean, like, if they just want to, you know, if this is just Joe Manchin wants to have it to be the Joe Manchin Voter Rights Act or whatever, I don't, fine. But, like, but he's going to have to override the filibuster to pass it. Right. And and maybe, you know, maybe the best strategy right now is just keep him put keep putting him in that situation, but... You know, I think at the end of the day, if if he feels safe in his seat, does he have any motivation yeah. to move away from it? Like, if we just want to, like, declare the Senate to be called the Joe Manchin Senate and just airdrop billions of dollars onto the people of West Virginia with parachutes, you know, make sure it's safe and all that. Like, like whatever you need to do to bribe him to pass this, like, cool. But yeah, I'm down with that. The people of West Virginia have been forgotten for far too long. Yeah. Let's let's get them some cash. Yeah, well, you know, and that's like taking the infrastructure. It's like, let's take those coal jobs, turn them into jobs making solar panels, et cetera, et cetera. Fine. Yes. I'm all for Rebuild it. Rebuild our electrical infrastructure. Uh, again, all for it. Let's Protect do ourselves it. against the cybers. The cybers. Ugh. So, so yeah, so that's... Congress, which uh, if you didn't quite get to the distilled version, uh, they're not doing anything right now. They're not doing a damn thing. Um, the Supreme Court, however, is doing some things. Yes. And and maybe sort of, you know, starting with the end, like somewhat surprising, I think. Yeah. So there have been a couple decisions that have come out in the last few weeks one, you know, pretty, you know, what I would have said a pretty conservative decision, though it ended up being unanimous um, in a case that was essentially asking the question, can a Catholic 
organization that deals with adoption discriminate against LGBTQ? And the answer was, yes, they can. Yeah. Um, and not a, you know, not a result I was looking for, but it was a unanimous vote, which I, which I was surprised about. And, and in fairness and in honesty, I did not. I did not read through the whole decision. So, yeah. Um, but still, it was unanimous, which is also somewhat surprising on what would have felt like a partisan issue. Yeah. Then the second one was about Obamacare yet again. And so this was the suit brought by a bunch of states and two dudes. Yeah. Saying, well, it's unconstitutional now because... Uh, when we when the tax cuts were passed, you know, we got rid of any kind of penalty, any kind of anything. So the whole thing is unconstitutional. And the Supreme Court said, you know, essentially, you weren't injured by this at all. Yeah, because there is no penalty there, yeah. you aren't injured, therefore you have no yeah. standing. Go away. Yes. Just, just go away. And what was really interesting was the dissent uh, written by... Uh, who wrote the dissent? I almost said Scalia, which is not right. Thomas. Yeah, but, but the dissent was, you know, said like, once again, the, you know, Chief Justice has found some way to save Obamacare, you know, in an attempt to make us look non-political. You're like, that shots that's, fired. That's that's interesting. <laughs> uh, it was Breyer. So okay. And you look at that and you're like, whoa, okay, well, that's that's kind of interesting. But, you know, when you look at the justices who voted for it, it included Kavanaugh and uh, Barrett. So who you wouldn't have expected there. Right. And I think the other, in aggregate, looking at the decisions, the, the Trump-appointed justices have been voting in the majority more than you would have expected. Yeah. Right? Like... We were all kind of predicting a very, you know, a very stark divide in the votes. And that hasn't panned out. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying it won't. Yeah. I'm not saying don't panic. I, I think where um, you're going to see them do more is in terms of, like, things that are around corporate power, things that protect private business interests. Those are the things that are going to be where they're going to be a more strong uh, force. And, you know, and I, I mean, fundamentally, you have to realize, like, as much as they are the Trump judges, they're really the McConnell judges. Uh, and so yeah. what are his interests that he is promoting? And uh, that's yeah. that is a fair point. Um, and I guess the real litmus tests will be probably in the spring where we get some of those decisions that were argued recently. Yes. Um, about abortion restrictions and whatnot. Yep. Um, so but again, some interesting things to see there in aggregate um, and also you know in specific uh, I do want to talk though about you know we kind of mentioned what's going on at the in Congress and how really Republicans are just seem to be happy with nothing passing yeah um, and I've just been giving a lot of thought to why that is and you know I just want to toss out this hypothesis that Republicans as a whole could not care less if no laws get passed at the federal level 
because they control the legislation in states well enough that yep. that gets them everything they need. Yeah, basically at the federal level now, they can pass any judges that they need to. They can um, pass tax cuts. They can keep funding the military. Like all the stuff that like they actually tend to do at the federal level, they can continue to do. And then everything else, they can operate at the state level. Like they don't need to pass an abortion ban at the federal level. They just need to pass it at a state level and then have the Supreme Court sign off on it. And that's yeah. that. And it protects, it kind of helps them in two ways. One, it lets them get their agenda passed for the true believers. And then for those people who maybe they aren't so high on taxes and regulations and things like that, and who sort of align with the Republican Party, you can say, well, but they aren't really doing crazy stuff when they're in power, so it's okay. Like, like don't worry about the crazy stuff they say. They're not actually going to do it. Right. They're not doing it up there because they're doing it at yeah. the local level. Don't worry, level. the filibuster will protect you from that. Because, yeah, I guess it does, but... Um, yeah. But ultimately, the filibuster is doing more to prevent the Democrats from getting things done because a lot more of what they want to do involves, you know, government spending and and more national level regulation that just setting policy. Yeah. Too, because through reconciliation, you can do some things with a simple majority, but you can't make laws that that have some social impact. You know, you can't make laws that protect voting rights. You know, and we're actually seeing that there, some of the policy changes that were supposed to be more socially progressive, you know, around, you know, distribution of funds from existing policies, right? It's a dog's life. Indeed. This break brought to you by dogs. Yeah. Woof. Dogs. Woof, woof, woof. Anyhow. But the... <laughs> For the record, I love dogs. Yes. But this idea that, like... And it'd be much crazier if this was cats. <laughs> yeah, that is true. I would not be here if it were cats. No, there would be blood spilled. <laughs> dogs and beer, yes. Cats and beer, no. No. Just doesn't make sense. Does not make sense. Yes. But this idea that, like... <laughs> look, well, so what I was saying was that the administration, again, because they don't think they're going to be able to pass some laws that are really socially progressive, are trying to use policy changes to do things like make decisions about how loans are distributed from the American Recovery Act. And those are being challenged in court. Yep. And, and the administration has been losing those in lower courts so far. So around the ability to you know, provide loans for minority farmers, for instance, or using, you know, using some historical trends to give support to small businesses owned by minorities. And so they're being stymied out in some of those things. And it's, you know, what the filibuster is really stopping is the ability to pass laws that would that would set up the bar. ability to yeah yes. yeah it's, it wouldn't just make it the executive order that's yeah. that's driving it and and now the other part is that the state laws as the states pass really abhorrent policies about either anti-trans 
laws or voter suppression. Anti- voter suppression. Like they don't. I don't actually think that they care if those are enacted, because they don't really have any impact. They just want to go to court and say that they're fighting for them. Yeah. Because everything is the culture war, and it's it's disheartening. It's disheartening. Yes. Yeah. Sigh. So, in other words, Mansion, kill the filibuster already. Yeah. Exactly. Or else you'll be back on our segment next week. For fuck's sake, Joe Manchin. Slash Kitterson Cinema. Yeah, nobody wants to be on that segment. Least of all the two people it's named after. Right. All right. So uh, that's a lot of what's going on internally. Uh, what's going on with Biden has gone to Europe? He did. He went to Europe. What's that? Biden took a trip, man. Traveling's trip. open. You know, they're saying now Europe's going to open back up for American tourists. So Joe Biden... Uh, just uh, doing his tourist thing. All right. Visiting the G7. I don't know if you saw the pictures from the G7, I but did it not. was. Oh man, they were, they were good. They, and it was almost. I like, assume there's lots of him giving shoulder rubs. Oh to, yeah, to totally. To Merkel. Hey Merck. I, people looked so much more comfortable than they did. Oh yeah. With Trump around because. Because Trump. Yeah. <laughs> and. You know, you know, a lot of, as the G7 usually is, it's a lot of kind of fluff and whatnot. But, you know, two things that came out of that. One is, you know, real honest dialogue. And two, an agreement from the entire G7 to have a minimum corporate tax. Yes. And, you know, I know everybody tunes in for the tax policy discussion, as they should. Of course. Come for the beer. Stay for the international tax policy discussion. I'm already asleep. What were you saying? Yeah. But this is important because it is a balancing factor practically for how you can set tax policy internally. Yes. And minimize the benefit or the incentive for people to leave. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. Know, I mean, basically, yeah. If you have it so that, you know, Apple or whoever can't, you know, negotiate their tax structure based on where they're recognizing revenue and all of that, you know, that that's a big benefit. And it's in the interest of all of these countries to have some enforcement of that. I mean, you know, obviously yeah. like Bermuda might be a little bit upset by it, but you know, they're pretty shit. chill anyway. <laughs> you know, like you've eh. got a tropical Island. Quit complaining. Yeah, exactly. Fair. Um, and then there was a, a, a long meeting with Putin, which I think, you know, looking at the outputs of that, which were much more in line with what I think we would hope for from a discussion with somebody who's authoritarian and autocratic, you know, tells me that our policies are changing. And it doesn't come out like, oh, I love this guy. He's great. Oh, they're great. They, they came yeah. out and said, we have disagreements. And, and that's, I think, how it should be when you're recognizing people who are taking action against your interests and the interests of everybody else. Yeah, and I think there was part of what was discussed was setting some boundaries on, like, what kind of cyber attacks are going to get... Like, there there is a line where if you cross that line, we're not talking about cyber... Like, we're act, there is a point at which a cyber attack becomes an act of actual war. Yeah. And, and, and so setting some boundaries about, like, look, 
if you want to like screw around with the meat processor, like, you know, we're not okay with it, but it's still like in, in those boundaries. Yeah. Whereas if you do, you know, attack a nuclear reactor or something like that, like I don't know what they said as right. the boundaries, but like- Dominion voting is, machines. Yeah, yeah, voting machines. <laughs> if you take over a television network and have them spread propaganda. Uh, no, that's still fine, still fine. Uh, but you know, like they, so setting sort of what the, the rules of the game will be. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully like keep that, you know, keep that under control because that can get out of hand in a way that's sort of unexpected, I think. Yeah, and I, you know, I think it also reflects the fact that, you know, Biden takes much more of a above the surface, below the surface view. Like, I don't think he was going to tell everybody exactly what he wanted to talk to Putin about. Yeah. You know, he'd rather, you know, keep some of that hidden um, because he wants to give the diplomats and the people who are having lower level conversations the flexibility to make compromise. Yes. It's it's it is a a different and maybe old school kind of strategy for it, but Yeah. Um have they minted a commemorative coin for this summit yet? No, not yet. Okay. Not oh. yet. I I'm still waiting for I mean, it. That's that's one thing I think I'm gonna miss from from tr the Trump administration is uh, commemorative coins. Like they were really good about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, if there is one thing to say about the Trump administration is that the commitment to finding ways to get money out of supporters was really creative. Yeah, I mean, just I mean, I applaud their flexibility and you know finding new markets for just bilking money out of people. Yes. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So that's uh, that's all that, um, which moves <laughs> us to our typical segment, Election Circus. I'm calling it Pit, Pit of, of despair. despair. Pit of Despair. 2022. That's really too harsh. It's not quite a pit yet. It's more of a divot. Um, a I don't, pothole of despair. Yeah, I don't know why I'm so... I'm so very much like afraid of what 2022 is going to look like. Well, I mean, it gets at some of the stuff I was saying at the top of the pod was like, you know, it, it's we we have to keep overperforming in order to hold the ground that we have because yeah. of because of gerrymandering, because of the electoral college, because of voter suppression, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's like, well, what happens if people are just slightly less motivated because some bipartisan focused senator screws things up. <laughs> yeah, I don't it it's a great question. And I you know, I look at you know sort of the Democratic turnout side and you know making sure people are registered to vote and all of that and I, that's very important. You've got to keep people energized. Don't have that foil to play against anymore. Um, I think on the flip side you know, Republicans are going through this weird, you know, spectrum of Trumpism. You know, how much do they buy into the big lie? You know, what's that look like? You've got, you know, people being, Murkowski being primaried and Trump getting into the Alaska Senate race already. Like, Trump, and remembering Trump wants to still be at the center of attention and starting oh, yeah. rallies and, like... He and doesn't have a blog anymore, so he has to come no, up with a better true. way. I hear he's going to do a vlog. Um, but all of that, 
you know, Democrats are naturally pessimistic about our chances, you know. And yes, it's true that on average you have to have like a seven or eight point margin in popular vote yeah. to win the House. Yeah, I mean, it's, as a as a Democrat, it's it's not unreasonable for us to be pessimists. What drives me nuts is when people will take, um, you know, like we'll have we'll be having discussions about how we talk about race or how we talk about gender or how, and all these things, and people will be like, well, this is why Democrats lose. No, this is not why Democrats lose. The reason Democrats lose is because there's a structural disadvantage. That unless we're all really excited to show up, we struggle. Yeah. And and if we had no electoral college, if we didn't have gerrymandering, if we had a Senate that wasn't deliberately rigged to promote slavery back in the day, maybe, just maybe, it would be different. Yeah, it'd be I a mean, little different. And it, it is that thing I. Uh, again, explaining things to, to people outside of the country, the idea that the House of Representatives will be represented by the minority of the population yes, unless the majority wins the popular vote by between seven and nine percentage points. Yes. Like, it makes that no just sense. Doesn't, it, it makes no sense. But the reason to be optimistic is that the Republicans are like, in some ways, eating themselves alive, and that could depress yeah, their Yeah, I mean, yeah. If you've got, you know, they go full QAnon or whatever, that they're going to, like, you know, we've seen this happen in previous elections where, you know, somebody's running for Senate and they say something that was too racist for its time and people get concerned and don't vote for them. Uh, it probably would have been fine now, but back then, not yeah. as much. That's, that's um, definitely the Roy Moore effect right yeah, there, right? Like, yeah, like, you know, yeah. If you happen to nominate the guy who's, you know, somebody who's a pedophile, somebody has some other criminal thing going on, like, that might actually hurt your election result. Even now, that might hurt your election chances. So Maybe. Maybe. Um, I'm looking at you, Matt Gates. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> Speaking I forgot of, about him. <laughs> I'm more like I blocked him out. Yeah, but. Speaking of criminal pedophiles, as right. you were. Jesus. <laughs> but also, like, and this was my favorite, and there are going to be a lot of these, I think. My favorite story from the Republican primaries, as they are, the recording of one primary candidate in Florida essentially saying, I'm going to have you killed to another yeah, candidate. Like you do. A Russian and Ukrainian hit squad. Now I appreciate that he's being by you know, you know multinational. That's good, but like, make you disappear. I, I can't even imagine that happening in a democratic race. No, of I, I just, wouldn't. I, I just, no, no, I just can't even like, imagine that. Think, but 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 both sides, EJ. Yeah, both sides. And that dude is gonna get votes. I guarantee well, that like guy's going to get votes here in Illinois. Yeah. Like, well, he's the guy running. What are you going to do? Yeah, like, what are you going to do? not vote for him. <laughs> Maybe not vote for the Nazi. I don't know. I don't know. Skip the Nazi vote. So I think nationally what's coming up in the next few weeks I think it's going to be some things on the legislative plan as Democrats and Biden learn how to continue to navigate the cinema mansion dam. 
for fuck's sake. Um, and then updates on the big lie, right? Because, you know, what are we doing about the January 6th commission and how is that working or not yeah, working? We have uh, we had a uh, Chicago cop uh, get indicted in all of that. So, you know, they continue to pursue criminal actions against people. They had uh, uh, a video was released of uh, one of the Capitol Hill police getting beaten by a retired cop. Like, yeah, there you go. Yeah. And, you know, this week the House voted to give, you know, essentially medals to the Capitol Police. And like 16 Republicans voted against it. Like, that just seems like a Cause layup. Because what? It didn't happen? Like, yeah. wait, wait, wait. Well, that's what they said. They were protesters. We're not going to say insurrection. They were just oh. protesting. Oh. And then they show pictures of those same Republicans pissing themselves. You know, I, I, just no limits to the hypocrisy. No limits to the yeah. hypocrisy. Uh, yeah. And, of course, we have the Arizona recount is still ongoing. Uh, recent revelation on this is, you remember we talked about cyber ninjas before? Well, it turns out it's cyber ninja. It is one guy. It's one dude. One dude. He's got a ranch in Wyoming, right? Yep. He's taking all the voting equipment there. Got a website, Cyber Ninja. But totally legit. Totally, totally legit. legit. So, so I'm really looking forward to them finding the vote fraud that they made. Yeah. Vote one. Just one vote. There'll be like, suddenly we'll get a bunch of ballots made of entirely of bamboo. And then we'll know. So I'll be in Arizona next week, which is a terrible choice. Yes, it is. But I'll check in on Cyber uh, Nothing Ninja. like July in Arizona. You know, it's a dry heat. It's just, it's just hot. It was a bad idea. It was a bad idea. <laughs> so, is, so is your oven, sir. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, right. So international, um, we've talked about Israel on our pod a lot. I'm, I'm very interested in Israeli politics for a number of reasons, mostly because it's the only political system, I think, in the world that's more effed than ours. Um, and also, it's a very young democracy still. I mean, we have to acknowledge that. Um, after four elections, there has now been a new government installed in Israel. Yeah. Netanyahu is no longer the prime minister. Yeah, and, and what was what was happening was you had a enough people voted into parliament that didn't want Netanyahu in charge, but fundamentally those parties disagreed with each other pretty drastically. And so they could never get enough of a coalition together to take Netanyahu out of power, but they finally have figured out a way to do this. Right. And it is the weirdest coalition you've ever right. seen. It's like the far left, the far right, the guy who's in charge is possibly to the right of Netanyahu. Oh yeah. He is a he is a hardcore you know proponent of settlements, I say in air quotes. Um, he was Netanyahu's understudy for a long time. Yeah. And and only kind of came out against Netanyahu during COVID. Yeah. He's also, you know, independently wealthy via software of some sort. And so you've got this dude, um, Naftali Bennett, and then you've got Yair Lapid, 
So, and this is a, another thing that blows me away, right? So they're going to share prime ministership, right? So the first two years, assuming that the government stays, yeah, lasts more than three weeks, it's yes. going to be Neftali Bennett, and then Lapid will take over, and he's a centrist, right? But they, to build that coalition, you've got uh, Bennett's party, which is, again, very much in the settlements. Yay, settlements. You've also got the first party, first Arab party, ever to be part of a ruling coalition. Yes. So that's like having Bernie people and Tea Party people coming together. Right. You know, like... To just get rid of Netanyahu. Yes, and I, you know, and I, I, I have to say, I appreciate that. Like, if we had had that kind of coalition building around Trump, like, that'd have been pretty amazing. But uh, nope. Well, and there are two things that I want to say about this. One is, and I think it's notable to say that all of Netanyahu's supporters are using the exact same lines in the exact same rhetoric as Trump supporters. It was a fraudulent election. There's a deep state conspiracy. Now keep in mind that the way that it works there is that there's a there's a proportional representation in the Knesset. So you've got all the votes going out across. Those representatives get nominated or elected into the Knesset. And then the Knesset has to vote on the new government. Yes. And it was a one-vote difference to install the new government. So there's no, like, it's not like the Electoral College. There's no, it's even less likely yeah, that there could be any There's no system quite as broken as our Electoral College. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, now, that does kind of lead to the question that says, is that kind of government better? Right, like we've got a two-party system where you have factions on the edges that can have an outsized influence. Is that better or worse than the dog says better? Um, is that better or Anna, worse? Anna, sound like worse to me, sir. <laughs> yeah. We need to get our dog interpreter on here. One of us owns a dog. That's all I'm saying. So, <laughs> is that better or worse than this parliamentary system where? You don't have a lot of representatives, and you know you've got these small parties. I think it's like three and a half percent of the vote gets you official party recognition in the Knesset. Yeah. So I, QAnon could have there could be a QAnon party. I mean, there kind of is, but there could be a QAnon party. Is that better or worse? I don't know. It's just an interesting. Well, I think ultimately it's like. I think where you get in trouble is when either the government doesn't represent the, the it doesn't fairly represent the people who are voting for it or it is incapable of getting anything done. See also our system. I was <laughs> of say, that sounds a little like ours. Yes. Yes. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, if you know, in the grand scheme of things, what I'd rather have a very fractious coalition of very small parties all vying for power versus two parties that don't really represent people very well vying for power. Like, no, I think I like their system better that way. But, but they had four elections in two years. Could you imagine going through four elections in two years? 
You know what? I bet that was less painful than our elections every two years. I bet they had a lot less TV ads. Yeah. Well, but but here's the thing. So, you know, in the U.S. structurally, it's easy for the minority to rule. Yeah. Um, in Israel and other parliamentary systems, but I'm, I'm focusing on Israel because of the small numbers problem. What you end up with, so nobody wins a majority, and then a bunch of the minority parties get together and make a deal. Yeah. So in the end, that deal may or may not represent the people who voted for those representatives. But it does mean that the majority has to respect, like it does create that balance of the majority has to respect minority opinions because at some point the minority can then coalesce against the majority and become right. the majority. And, and then the, they would be... And then, yeah. So democracy is hard. Democracy is hard. Democracy uh, it is, is hard. the worst system except for all the others. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, still some time to let this bake in, but Iran had an election yesterday. Okay. Um, uh, sort of a, I don't want to say hardline cleric, because that feels very cliche, but a, a more conservative cleric was elected president. We'll see how that goes. Um, you know, Iran is still, Iran is always portrayed as being very, you know, a single block of people, but it's really not. And yeah. there were, you know, sort of more centrist candidates, but there was no appetite by the sort of more change-oriented folks to vote. So turnout was way, way down. Um, but some people are saying that that might be better in the end for a return to the nuclear deal, if you're into that sort of thing. Yes. Which I am. So, uh, that's Israel, et cetera, Israel. et cetera. Uh, let's talk covid uh, we talked a bit at the top, but just some like numbers, things like that. We're trying to get to the point that we have 70% of people vaccinated. Uh, yeah. That would nominally get us into the ballpark of herd immunity. Herd immunity is a little hard to f suss out here because it's probably more contagious than we originally thought. So it might need to be higher, but then some people have acquired immunity the old fashioned way. So there's that combined with it. Yeah, uh, But you can see in the states where there is a higher level of vaccinations, you're seeing a much lower rate uh, of infections. Here in Chicago, I was checking the COVID dashboard, and it was down to 0.7% uh, positivity rate. I'm looking forward to us talking about positivity as, a, as an emotional state and an yeah. attitude again, rather than as a state of disease. But... Um, yeah, so like overall looking good. There's uh, some states though, they they tend towards Republicans, where the vaccination rates are quite a bit lower. Quite a bit lower. And um, they're putting themselves in some jeopardy right now because the Delta yeah. variant is circulating about. This is the one that really did a number in India. Uh, it is both more contagious. I would not use the past tense in in that. By well, the way, well, it is still yes, that is true. Um, it's more contagious and and more deadly. So uh, 
Yeah, so uh, if you haven't gotten your vaccine, you should get your vaccine. Get your damn um, vaccine. I mean, yeah. It, it, nobody, nobody listening to this podcast, I would guarantee you we have a 100% vaccinated audience. Mostly because our audience is three people in Norway. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, so this is a funny thing. I, I've said this before. Like, I, I know people in Norway who are waiting to get their first shot. Um, and, like, one of my, actually, my boss just got his first shot two days ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. Get, it, it, it blows me away that my 13-year-old was fully cured after, you know, two weeks after a second shot on the same day that my boss got his first yeah, shot. Yeah, you know, and it's, it is sort of hard to wrap your brain around it. Like, everything's returning to normal here. We've got huge vaccination rates, and then, like, well, actually, the rest of the world is still way behind on that. And, it, and you know, yeah, uh, uh, the benefits of, a, of American hegemony, I guess, like, this, like, one upside is we have, you know, pharmacy, you know, the, the, the manufacturers here producing the vaccines. We have the money to buy the vaccines. And so, yeah, we get that privilege. Um, yeah. And, and I would like to say that, you know, I don't want to be all doom and gloom about other states because even even the states with lower rates, you know, are it's not like it's 12 percent. You know, it's right. It's, it's majority of people are still getting vaccinated. Yeah. In every state. It's just some states are, you know, approaching 70%. Some states are across the line already. Um, I, so it's they're going to keep working on it, right? Most states are above 50%. Every state's above yeah. 40 uh, Just for, for some context, the vaccination rate, uh, let's see. I was looking at the wrong thing. Let me look at the right thing. Now I'm looking at the right thing. Uh, the vaccination rate of Mississippi, fully vaccinated. What do you think the full vaccination rate is of the population of Mississippi? 43.5%. Nope. 28.9. Fully vaccinated. Uh, fully vaccinated. I'm so, a first shot guy. Uh, at least one dose. What do you think the number is? That's I'm going to go 43%. 35. No. Yeah. Is that total population or total population allowed to be well, vaccinated? total population. Oh, see, now you're going to mess with numbers because that's how you do. Well, you can't count people who aren't able to be vaccinated, right? Well, you'd have to, though, if you're talking about herd immunity, don't you? I mean, that's why, I mean, like that 70% number. Okay, so let's be clear. The 70% target is of the adult population. Yeah. So, you know, I mean. So Mississippi, 12 and over. Uh, receiving at least one dose is 41.8%. Okay. And that's, you know, you know, I'll take that. I'll take that. Got to keep working on it. 60% Um, in Florida. Illinois, we now have a vaccine lottery. So that's nice. Uh, So, you know, you can win a million dollars. I thought it was just hot dogs. Maybe we could uh, offer that to the Cubs. Who are have the lowest vaccination rates in the major in Major League Baseball? I think. Really, really. Yeah, I'm not kidding. You got Anthony Rizzo, is this who's a supposed to be thing? the, the is golden that, is that boy, what's going on? who you know donates a lot of time and money to Lori's Children Hospital. It's not getting vaccinated. Still goes to the hospital unvaccinated, oh, travels around, oh doesn't God. care. And the hospital now has said, 
it's a personal choice. So if you ever want to know how much money has influence on things, a children's hospital is saying it's a personal choice to get a vaccine because a rich baseball player is an idiot. Man. I have some uh, anger about this. I so I so what enjoy drinking? going to Cubs games, but god damn it, man. Um, anyhow. So what are you drinking? While the Cubs may let me down, beer does not. Uh, so I have had two beers so far. I have had the... What was the first one I had? I got to look that up. It was the Stromhouse Hells, a nice Hells lager. And now I am on the Ginger Lime Jet Stream, the Jet Stream being their wheat beer. And then it's got a ginger limey kind of vibe. I was expecting it to be a little more sour yeah. because of the lime, but it's actually pr- pretty mild. It's not so acidic. Uh, really enjoying it. So. Nice. And, you know, Metropolitan is one of the two or three really good, I think, German-style breweries here in Chicago, yeah. Dovetail being another. Um, and, I mean, it's it's 90 degrees out or whatever. I'm This is the right place to have German, the right time to have German-style beers. Oh, yeah. I started with a collaboration from Sips, the Extra Pale Pilsner. Super smooth, super nice. Loved it. Um very easy drinking, crisp, all of the things a Pilsner should be. And I've actually now moved on to the Humbucker Dortmunder. Uh, again, what can you say? It's a golden color. It's a little more hop forward. Yes. And I, I just want to sit and watch the river go by and drink this beer. Yeah, I feel like I, I, I want to come here at like... 5.30, 6 o'clock, you know, like the happy hour, maybe a little earlier, like, and sit on that deck and look over the river and let, watch it go by. Um, there's actually an electric boat rental thing here, apparently. I saw that, yeah. Uh, so you can rent a little boat and take yourself out on the water. I don't know if you can bring the beers with you or not, but presumably you I don't think so because they're, <laughs> well, maybe. Maybe you can, actually. I saw people with coolers going down there, but. Yeah. I mean, you're not gonna, yeah, you're not gonna like get a draft beer, but you know, right. you can bring right. your cans with you or whatever. Take but a little ride on the river. That looks nice. I just love this site. I love that they finally got it built out. I know there have been problems with the landlord, and yeah, we want to make sure to get here in case the landlord dispute goes the wrong direction. But. Yeah, and you know, I was pushing on the alderman to try to help. Uh, this is in the the thirty third. Okay. Um, so trying to get Rosanna to help. I, you know, I, I, it's a good business. This is a, an interesting area. You know, you've got, it's called the Rockwell or something like that. You've got the brewery. You've got a roastery. Um, looked like there was a whiskey There's thing. a whiskey place here, an event space, and an electric boat company, which was a little surprising. So, um, so yeah, come on down. I mean, I... I love this place. Uh, again, the, the brewers are great. Um, it's on the river. You could swim from here to, you know, some of the other breweries on the river, like uh, Burning Bush Brewery, which is just upriver. There you go. Uh, yeah, and, and it would actually, I think, be reasonably safe to swim in that river. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Actually, I, I, I don't know. I take, a, I take an electric boat with beer. That yes. sounds much more pleasant. Yes. 
Okay, I'm going to I'm going to commit to looking into this before our next podcast. Okay. Could we take a boat from this brewery to another brewery? I like this idea. That'd be a fine that <laughs> We need a nice little 3-hour tour. Yeah. That'd be great. Exactly. That is the whitest thing I'm going to say today. All right. So, that's beer and boats. Uh, and the river, which leads us to Chicago. Yes. So, look. Chicago politics is heating up. And, you know, I will say, as, as we talk about the fact that the federal government is having trouble doing things, Illinois state government is continuing to do some good things. Absolutely. And... You know, in the last month, there have been a number of bills passed, um, and I, I don't know which way to go with this, but, you know, there was a, a couple of criminal justice r- bills passed that, that really help, I think, shape some good policy for the future. And one of the things that, you know, you have to recognize about state bills is that they're usually a framework that allow people to fill in the details later, and this is going to be important in a minute, but... You know, the, the framework that's put in place with some of the criminal justice reform puts us in a position to really, you know, reshape the, the war on drugs, for instance, right? Help rethink the way that criminal justice is viewed across the state. Um, and it's, I think it's the most progressive set of, of bills in the, in the country. Um, yeah, we've we've become a weirdly a bit of a progressive leader in the country, which is sort of like I don't like I don't normally think of our state as I mean I, I think of it as a blue state, but like yeah. normally I think is like California is sort of setting the tone for that. Whereas I feel like we've kind of taken the mantle from them. I really I think that that is a really good way to think about it. That California has gotten bound up in some other things, and you know we've our our legislature, you know while it's been a democratic. Uh, supermajority for a while. The expulsion of Mike Madigan, spoiler alert, we'll talk about him in the next pod because a lot of stuff is going to break in the next week. Um, you know, moving him out has given some agency to people to push some more things. So, like, State Senator Robert Peters, um, really great stuff he's pushing through. So, uh, I think the bill around criminal justice, fantastic. Um, The other big thing that kind of flows down into Chicago is the idea of an elected school board in the city of Chicago. Yeah, and this has been a hot topic for many years now. Hot. Uh, Lightfoot ran saying she was going to uh, go for an elected school board and kind of didn't do it. But that's okay because the state of Illinois is doing it for her. I mean... Every candidate did. Yes. I mean, really, every progressive candidate. Said, right, because yeah, everybody, elected. like, everybody, I mean, generally speaking, across the board, people think democracy is a good thing. Right. And, you know, having elected school board instead of one appointed by the mayor, you know, definitely an improvement. And, you know, the Chicago public schools are the only, you know, district, quote, unquote, in the state without an elected school board. Yes. Right now it's seven people. They're all appointed by the mayor. This bill will move it to a hybrid model in 2024 and then in a fully elected model in 2027 
and it's going to go from 7 to 21. Yeah. And the reason it goes from 7 to 21 is that the the city is divided up into into districts already. Yeah, like so it just makes sense to model that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've said this before, Chicago already has the largest municipal elections in the country because every school in Chicago Public School has a democratically elected uh, school council. School council, right. Yeah. I um, mean, so this is going to layer into that. Again, all very yeah, and cool. The school councils don't have power in the way that a, a board would. No, they kind of approve budget transfers. Yeah, and some other things. It's and the principal's contract, which is also very interesting. Yeah, um, love to talk about that anytime. Having been through that ringer a couple times, so here's some interesting things. One, Lightfoot said. Lightfoot you know, said woof? Yeah, Weird. Lightfoot said woof. Like, she hates the bill. She was totally against the bill the entire time. Even though people were like, hey, didn't you say that you were for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then after it was passed, she's like, well, Pritzker's not going to sign it. Now I'll negotiate. And you're just like, come on now. And, you know, Pritzker, as late as yesterday, has said, I'm going to sign the bill. Yeah. So, again, hopefully he will. And so that makes it seem like a fait accompli, but it's really not because there are a lot of details to be worked out. Yeah. Like, you know, how, in the margins. how sort of how do the elections happen? Um, how are the elections financed would be an open thing. You don't want a bunch of like DeVos money coming in and, no. oh, suddenly Chicago's doing nothing but charter schools because, you know, enough elections were bought. Um, you know, if. if the, the notion of it being more democratically controlled is good as long as the system by which those people get elected is representing those local interests and making sure that it's right. going to be, you know, working for the people who are there. And I think the risk is always that you turn into more backroom things, right? So, you know, in Chicago, we've got this whole process of slating, which essentially heavily weights the who gets elected based on party leadership. Yep. And we've got to make sure that that doesn't happen because I can imagine like somewhere there's a form piece of paper in legislation. That's just like the picture of a smoky back room. It's like, how oh, does yeah. this happen? Uh, just put in form SBR one. And it's just like that picture of a steakhouse and like, yeah. So those are things that people have to be aware of, and we have to be leaning on our legislators to make sure that that is done in a reasonable way. Yeah, and another factor uh, here is how is the money apportioned? Because right now, all the money is coming through the city for the most. Like, yeah. like the city is controlling that money. So, like, what does the school board control? What does the city control? Yeah. And where this gets really interesting is TIF money. Because the TIFs are basically taking money out of the money that would normally be going to the schools. Um, and so is that, how does that work in this system? So we don't know any of this yet. No, we don't. We don't. TIF, for those of you who don't know or care, is tax, inc tax increment financing, which is essentially... Slush funds. Slush, slush funds. funds for everybody. Okay, slush funds for the mayor. But, you know for the mayor. It's one of those things where everybody who runs for office says they're against them and then they get there and they're like, eh, they're all right. I'm a, I'm a fan of acronyms. 
generally. Yeah. Um, so the other thing, we've got a couple other city things. One, very briefly, you know, there's been a lot of talk about police reform and police oversight reform and a number of bills that have been in legislative limbo for a long time. The poorly named CPAC. Yes. Nice work. Um, there were two sort of vaguely progressive bills that merged into a new one called the Empowering Communities for Public Safety. And that was or, in the or park. Or Yeah. Still better I mean, than CPAC. CPAC at least is easy to roll, easier to say. Other than that, it's terrible. But So uh, this week in the Public Safety Committee, the bill was kind of put forward. It's got to leave that committee by majority vote to get to the full city council. Yeah. And, you know, sort of last minute, the bill was changed a little bit. And it was changed in order to make it pal- more palatable for other for other alders to vote on. And it essentially removed some of the most progressive parts of the bill about, you know, who controls the budget for the police department and contracts with the police unions, which are... I mean, that's... If you could make that work better, you would probably solve 90% of our problems. Yeah, yeah. And the, you know the leadership and approving leadership of the police department, which, you know, a lot of very progressive people were like, whoa, 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 hey, hey, what are you doing here? That's too far. You can't take that out. Um, but then the the head of the committee, uh, Talia Farrow, Alderman Talia Farrow said like, well, I'm not going to allow this change at a last minute. Yeah. Which, I mean, it happens all the time. Like, it's one of those things that sounds reasonable when somebody says it in a vacuum, but then you're like, come on, man. And so all sides retreated, which is exactly what the mayor wants. Yep. And, you know, I segue this into the mayor. And I think this is how we should kind of end the day talking about all of the FOIA action that's happened and what we've learned about the mayor and again i've said this before i supported the mayor i voted for the mayor i've met the mayor and the mayor's partner amy and their daughter again big fans at the beginning my fandom has gone way way down oh yeah and seeing so we've seen these emails that have come out and honestly you should read them like just google Lori Lightfoot emails grab a glass of wine or six or a beer perhaps yeah or a beer from one of your fine local Chicago breweries and read them and just like they'll blow your mind and my favorite in a sad kind of way was this email that Lori sent to everybody that said, I need my office time. I need my office time. And it was like a block of control C, control V, office time, office time, office time. Huge list, like a huge paragraph of just repeating the same thing. I just imagine slamming on the keyboard (laughs) and saying, you know, time between meetings is not office time. And essentially like 
you guys are not respecting my wishes. If you don't start doing what I tell you, I'm going to just unilaterally cancel meetings because I need my office time, which, wow. And it's written in such a way that, like, if I read that from anybody that I work with, if it was somebody that worked for me, like they, maybe have there that, would be a disciplinary HR conversation. Problem, right? Maybe like, yeah. you know, like, like, do they need a, a personal health intervention? Like, what's going on here? Yeah, like, and if yeah. I read it from my manager, I would push this back to HR and say, like, this uh, person is a person who needs some time off. Yeah. And some weed. Now, look, I, it, that is a pattern of behavior we've seen from Lori. And not just the going against all the things she said she was going to do when she was running. Yeah. Elected school board, police reform, all of those things. But just kind of vaguely bullying and belittling behavior. Oh, yeah. And it bothers me for a number of reasons. Yes. But I want to toss this question out to you. It's going to be a bit of a left turn. Are we only talking about it because Lori Lightfoot is a woman? Because was Rahm Emanuel any less or more of a bully? And did people not care because everybody knew he was well, an asshole? I mean, I, I think as far as it goes, like, the reasons I have turned against Lightfoot after being a supporter are that she acts like Rom. I mean, you know, you know, you know, the, the, the male and the dead fish thing. Fine. I mean, it's like, you know, she's doing all, all caps rants of, of office time. Like, um, you know, if 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 she was a guy, if I saw the same thing, I would have the same reaction. Now, granted, would it all come out? Would people be more tolerant of it? That's a, yeah, that's a more complex question. Um but, I mean, it's just, like, I guess what frustrates me a lot about Lightfoot is I just don't understand how she's operating. Because, like, I mean, like, if you have, like, a particular vision, you're trying to implement that vision, like, here is what you would do. If you're just playing a political game, here is what you do. And I don't see her doing either of those things. It, it does feel a bit... Um, again, actually, if I had seen this in a... In, behavior from somebody who worked for me I would ask them if they were in over their heads yeah it, it feels like somebody who is constantly trying to adapt to a situation when they hadn't fi finished processing the previous one yeah and again this isn't about qualified not qualified but maybe overwhelmed and yeah, and it's entirely possible that, you know, she went into office with a certain idea of how she was going to do things. And, and you know, you have, you know, you've met her, you have, you know, and, and, and as a person, you like her and, and all that. And it's like, but once she got in office and really had to deal with the, the grind of what it is to be mayor, she just may not be what she was hoping yeah. for and, 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 and that she struggled with that. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I... I I mean, I could definitely see a situation where come next election that just that I end up voting for her because things have boiled down to the alternative is worse. 
But right now, like, I can't see myself voting for her. Although, her whole thing on the Bears, I, I can get behind that. So, uh, she, she sent some powerful shade the Bears' direction. Now, to be fair, I am a Broncos fan, so I have no skin in this game. Uh, but she... But what happened was the Bears uh, apparently put a bid in to buy uh, Arlington Park Raceway. And basically the theory being that that would give them a space where they could build a stadium in the suburbs and thus get out of their contract at Soldier Field, yada, yada. And it's largely seen as negotiating leverage uh, for their, you know, trying to get some upgrades to Soldier Field. And they, they already she, got a UFO. I don't know what they need. Right. You've got, yes. You can, you can commune with aliens or veterans. You know, I don't see what else you need. Um, but the, the end of this uh, post that they put out there in the world was, and like most Bears fans, we want the organization to focus on putting a winning team on the field, beating the Packers finally, and being re relevant uh, in October. Like, that's some, some cold, That is cold, some solid shade. Yeah. I, I, I do appreciate that shade much more than I appreciate the let's stop stop. Let's have a 10 p.m. curfew on alcohol sales. Yeah. Like, let's not let's not actually try to... I mean, I guess what really makes me angry about that is, like, it's such a old-school Chicago way of dealing with these things. It's like, oh, we see a social problem that people, you know, hanging out at a liquor store is late and getting drunk. Why? Because, like, all these other social problems that we're just not going to address. So we're just going to say, well, you can only do it till 10 p.m. Like I can go to a cock I can go to an expensive cocktail bar and I can get drunk. I can go to a 4 a.m. bar if I want to. I can drink till 3:30 would be last call. I can drink till then if I can afford to go to that bar. But well, and that is just it. I mean, that is a very regressive. It's a very regressive policy. Yeah. You know, you don't have a bunch of you know affluent white North Siders going to party stores for those of you listening from Michigan party store is a very Michigan thing you know go into a liquor store at midnight because you know what we bought all this shit earlier right. or we're at a bar yeah like there it's 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 aimed at communities of color I have a well stocked color. liquor cabinet why would I need to go to the liquor store exactly <sighs> well anyway so Stearns for mayor that's what I'm saying <laughs> thought I was running for the, uh, the the school board. Ah, but that's not till 2024. Ah, all right. I'm running for the school board. Uh, no. I'm not running for anything, to be honest. So so let me let me end our session today with a very funny story. Sitting on our porch last week, a guy came walking up with his dog and kid and said to my wife, Katie, hey, didn't you run for alderman? She said yes, and he said, "Would you want? Do you want to run again? Do you need somebody to help you raise money?" And he was essentially trying to build himself a job and get Katie to run for Alder again. Like he just like comes up with a bag as a big dollar sign. I on mean, it, like, it was astounding. It was astounding. And then he's like, "And if you look, you'll see the things that I've run before." And he's like been the treasurer of a bunch of packs and stuff like that. And you're like. And he walked away, and I looked at my wife, and I was like, Katie, this is, you're never going to leave Chicago politics now. <laughs> well, it's like, it's interesting because I'm like, oh, he's just walking through the neighborhood. Like, 
Really? Was he? Really was he now? Yeah. I mean, he was like, like, him, like driving in from Oak Park, unloads his dog, like comes up like, oh, hey. Uh, you could also honestly see that. Like, okay, guys, we're just going to uh, park the cars here. Right. Here are the babies we've rented for the day. Yes. It's like our, our previous governor in his, in his truck, he would crack out during election season like, oh, I'm a, I'm a normal person just like you, and I drive a truck. No, you don't. No. Again, I've seen that truck. I've seen his house. You can't park that truck at that house. Yes. Anyway, thanks, everybody, for joining us. If you get a chance yes. and you have the inclination, come down to Metropolitan Brewing here on Rockwell. In fact, you should come down like today because it seems like it's really going nicely. Of course, by the time yeah. I get this podcast edited, it won't be today. It'll be tomorrow, but maybe today, the day after. When will then be now? Exactly. Soon. Soon. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Stay safe. Take Enjoy care, your local everybody. brewery. Stay right. happy. Bye-bye.